Thank you very much, brother. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 this morning as we continue to work our way through the book of Genesis, and we're going to see this morning very specifically um, the first sin that ever took place. Uh, unfortunately, as we can all attest to, not the last sin that's ever taken place. In Genesis 3, we're going to see what we usually refer to as the fall of man. We're going to see Adam and Eve making the decision to rebel against God's uh, authority and against God's command for them. We're going to see the consequences of that decision, uh, which are many. We won't see all of them. We'll see many of them. We're also going to see the beautiful picture of how God redeems us from the consequences of our sin. So in Genesis chapter 3, if you would look there with me, we'll begin this morning by reading in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so here in this, in this beginning section of chapter 3, we see the confrontation that's, that's beginning to set up here. Now we already know the woman, the first woman, Eve, She's here in the story, we know the first woman, uh, the first man, Adam, we've already seen him, we've seen how God created them special and unique. We've already seen God, he will be one that we'll see in this chapter. But here in the first verse we're introduced to a new individual, a new person, a new personality that we haven't seen yet, and it's simply described as the serpent. Now, let me go ahead and start by saying the serpent, which I know there there's... One, there's a lot of intrigue around the serpent. There's a lot of questions about uh, how he operates and the things that he does and while he's there. That's what we're going to cover next week. Uh, next week, we're going to spend a majority of the time looking at this individual, looking at the serpent, looking at his tactics, looking at him not only here, mainly in chapter 3, but we'll look at some of the things that he does or has talked about the way he's described in the rest of the scripture. So, if you notice this morning that I seem to be intentionally vague in speaking much about the serpent, that's on purpose. That's what we'll be looking at next Sunday morning. This morning we're, we're sticking mainly with Adam and Eve, the decisions they make, the consequences from it, and God's redemption from it. So, suffice it to say for this morning this, that the serpent here is Satan. This is Satan. This is the devil in the form of one of God's created animals. He's taking the form of a snake or a serpent, and he is here speaking to Eve. And in this first section, there's a good bit of talk about what God said. God has, at this point, given one very specific command, and, and Satan misquotes it one way, and Eve misquotes it another. So to be clear about what God actually said, look back one chapter with me in Genesis chapter 2. Verses 15 through 17, we find what God says. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So here it's very clear. 
They can eat of any tree. They're in the Garden of Eden, this beautiful garden that God has created and placed them. They can eat any tree of any fruit of any tree except for one, and that's the tree that they're discussing here, the one that they're not supposed to, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God makes it clear. When you eat of it, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, Satan here, the serpent, comes and says, Oh no, you won't surely die. What he, he tells Eve, if we continue reading the next few verses, verses 4 and 5, he says, you won't surely die. The thing is, God knows that when you eat of that fruit, that you'll be like him, and you'll know good and evil. And we're going to talk about that specific tactic that he uses next week. But here in this, we see the tension set up of now the ball is in the court of Eve and Adam. Now the decision is theirs. God has said, do not eat of the tree. That should have been enough. There shouldn't have to be any sort of consequence. God's authority should be enough. He says, do not eat of the tree. He also gives them a consequence. If you do, on the day that you do, you will surely die. So God has given the command, and now the serpent has given the temptation. Oh, no. You won't die. It's not going to be bad. It's only going to be good, and now they have to make the decision. So look with me in verses 6 and 7 to see the decision that they make. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here we see, of course they make the decision. We, most of us know this story. We knew what they were going to do. They eat of the fruit. And in this we see what we call the fall of man. We see the first sin that ever took place in all of human history. We see Adam and Eve taking the one fruit of the one tree that God said, Do not eat of it and eating of it. Now, we see here how tempting the fruit appears in verse 6. It says that she looks at it, right? She inspects it, and she sees that it was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desired to make one wise. A lot of temptations here, a lot of things about this fruit that would make you want to eat this fruit, that would make you want to take of this fruit. Plus, on top of that, the serpent telling you nothing bad is going to happen if you do take part of this fruit but in going against the command of God we see the first sin and I want us to understand this morning I want us to be very clear that that is what sin is sometimes we, we want to talk about only if it's sin or only on the consequences or only if certain people know about it no, here is what sin is a, a formal definition here any lack of conformity active or passive to the moral law of God. So there's uh, there's a very fundamental definition, but in normal terms, I would say it this way, sin is not following God's commands. Whether we realize that we're not following them or not, when we don't follow God's commands, that's sin, which is exactly what they did here. And they did know it very clearly. Do not eat of that tree, the fruit from that tree. And what do they do? They go and they eat of the fruit of that tree, and they sin. Now, Although we can look at all sin as being this, this 
any type of disobedience to God's command. Here in this moment, in this garden, in this decision, I see what I would think is a, a certain category of sin that is often more tempting for us, one that I think that we fall into oftentimes, one that, uh, that's very popular, one that's really very accepted. I'm going to give you point one, and I'm going to explain it and give you this category of sin. But point one is this, good things are good in context. Good things are good in context. You see, I think it's, it's very fitting that in verse 6, that when Eve is trying to decide if she's going to eat of this fruit, that she looks at it and that she inspects it. And the first thing it says is that the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Well, we already knew that the tree was going to be good for food because God has already declared that all of his creation is what? Good, right? We've already seen that the last chapters. We've seen it was all good. And if he made this tree to make food, then yes, of course it's good. But the thing is, the tree was good for food, but the food was not good for people. That's the issue here. It's not that what God had done was made something that was bad. God made something that was good but it wasn't good for them. And in that, I think we see an issue, a specific category of sin that we fall to very often. And it's taking something that is good in a certain place and in a certain way and a certain time and not following the rules that have been set around it. I'll give you a couple of examples. I think that, that most of us agree that God and His infinite wisdom and his amazing ability has made the human body so that it would be a beautiful thing, so that it would be an attractive thing. And he's made it so that the, the attraction and the beauty of the human body would be enjoyed and would be desirable in the confines of marriage. So for a spouse to look on the beauty of their spouse's body and to admire it and enjoy it is something that God built into the creation process of man and woman. But when we look at and enjoy and desire the body of somebody that is not our spouse, we've taken a good thing out of its context, and now we've sinned. Now we have lusted. Now we have broken God's command. And we say, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Absolutely, it's a good thing in its context. The same goes for the physical relations that God has made for a man and a woman when they are becoming one flesh in the confines of marriage. It's a good thing when it's used in context. When we start having those physical relations with somebody that's not our spouse or outside of the confines of marriage or before we're ever married in the first place, now what we've done is gone against the command and the authority of God. I think it's a category of sin that we see often and that many of us succumb to. It's seeing something and all we realize is this is a good thing and not realizing how God meant that good thing to be used. And in that, we end up sinning. That's why it's so important that we recognize the authority of God and the authority of God's Word. God's Word should have authority over all of our lives. We should know what His Word says. We should know His commands. We should know His teachings in order to keep us from using good things in a bad way, just as Adam and Eve did here. The fruit's not bad fruit. 
the tree's not a bad tree. It just wasn't meant for them. And they broke God's command and did it anyways. And there are lots of other things in this category. We could go through lot. We could make a list really long. Some things that we, some of us don't even like talking about that much. We could talk about food, right? Food's a good thing. I know some of you, I can't believe you're going to talk about that. I'm not going to spend much time. But food's a good thing in moderation, the way that it's meant to. Sugar is a good thing. Alcohol, in certain instances, can be used in good ways, but it can also be used in bad ways. Brothers and sisters, it's very important that we recognize that good things are only good when they're used the way that God intended them to be used. He must have the authority. That's what Adam and Eve didn't bow to was his authority. So let's look now to see what are the consequences of their sin. We saw two here in verses 7 and verse 8. Verse 7, we saw that they, they recognized that they were naked and now they're ashamed of their nakedness and so they make clothes for themselves where before we saw in chapter 2 clearly that they knew that they were naked and that they were not ashamed. It says they were naked and they were not ashamed. That was clear. Now there's a shame, there's a shame that has come with this knowledge of good and evil. Verse 8, we see them hiding from God. There's been no reason for them to hide from God before. But now, because they've sinned, because they have uh, gone against his authority, because they didn't follow his command, they are hiding from the God that made them in his very own image. Then look with me in verses 16 and 17 as we see more of the consequences. To the woman, this is God giving them the consequences of their sin. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for you were taken from, from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Here we see more consequences. We see the pain multiplied for women in childbirth. We see the desire of being for her husband, her husband to rule over her. We see for the man here, we see that, that he's going to have to work, and now the ground is going to bring forth weeds and thorns and thistles and things that it wasn't going to before in the garden. And so now we have all of these consequences. They didn't, now they would, I think Adam and Eve would probably say, I didn't intend for all of that to happen, right? All I wanted to do was eat the fruit. All I wanted to do was have the knowledge of good and evil. I didn't intend to make every woman have all this pain in childbirth. I didn't intend, Adam would say, for the, the ground to be cursed and now start bringing forth weeds and thorns and thistles and make us have to work more than we're going to have to work. I didn't mean for all that to happen, but in that we see the reminder that sin has very harmful consequences and sin often has very unintended consequences point two sin has harmful consequences and i know these sound bad and i know part of it i can't understand i, I can't understand how bad the pain of childbirth is i'll go ahead and admit it i don't make a living by working a, a garden and farm so i don't i don't exactly understand these specific consequences as well as some of you do but I do understand this what I would say to you is the worst consequence of sin 
and it was the original thing that Adam and Eve were warned about. It was the first thing that they were warned was going to happen, and it was, you shall surely die. And now many people have read this chapter and said, did God lie because they ate the fruit and they didn't die? Not physically on that day, they didn't die. But I think Ephesians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, I think we have this for you, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I think we get a good glimpse of the type of death that God was talking about here. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, speaking to sinful people, and you were dead and the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. And I'll tell you that those descriptions are talking about Satan. Whenever it says, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, following the course of this world, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience, that's Satan. And when we follow his temptations, and when we follow the trail that he has for us, what we do is we take part in trespasses and sins. And what Paul tells us there and what Genesis chapter 3 so shows us is that spiritual death results from sin. When we sin, we die spiritually. What does that mean? Point three, sin separates us from God. That's what it means to be spiritually dead is that you are separated from God. That when you sin, it causes a separation between you and God. It severs the relationship between you and God. Sin does that for all of us, and it does it for Adam and Eve as well. And for them, we can see a beautiful, not beautiful, but a clear, let me say, a clear picture of what that looks like. Because not only do we see them hiding from God, not only do we see them expelled from the garden, but we see later the consequences of their sin being spiritual in nature as well. So for them, we see the picture so clearly because we see it physically and spiritually. They were in the garden. They were walking with God. They were spending time with God physically, and now they're not doing that anymore. They're hiding from God. They are banned from the garden. They are sent out from the place that they were spending time with God, and spiritually they have died as well. But the truth is it didn't just happen for Adam and Eve. That's why the fall of man is such a terrible thing is because we're told in Romans chapter 5 that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, but that death, spiritual death, spread to all men and all women because all of us sinned as well. See, we, we inherit the sinful nature from Adam, from his original sin, as it's called. We inherit that, but then we all sin as well. And in Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 12, but death has spread to all people because all sin. And so the greatest consequence of sin that Adam and Eve had to deal with was being separated from God, and it's one that you and I deal with as well. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has been separated from God. And so the last thing that we have to see is what does God do about that? Because the truth is we can't do anything about it. You can't fix that on your own. God has to be the one that fixes that. What is it that God does about that? And we see a picture, a glimpse of that here in Genesis chapter 3. Look with me in verse 15 as we see God giving uh, the consequences to Satan for his actions. He says, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. 
he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in that, we see this picture of what God did in order to save us from our sins. In this, we see this picture of an offspring of woman, Jesus, and, and Satan himself later having some battle where, where Christ is going to strike a blow to the head of Satan. We know what that looks like. We know exactly how that was done. And in Hebrews chapter 2, we see a good description of it. In verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. That just means that Jesus became a man as well. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Christ has destroyed the power of Satan. And one day he's going to completely destroy him. But for now he has taken away his power. He has disarmed him. He has made it so that he has no power over us. How did Christ do that? He became a man. And he fulfilled all righteousness. He became a man and he never sinned. He never stumbled. He never made a mistake. He never gave in to temptation. He lived a whole life perfect. And then died as if he had sinned as much as you and I have. Went to the cross and took the punishment of God for every sin that we have ever committed so that he could set us free from the power of sin that's overtaken us. Point four, the last point. We win through Christ. I thought somebody was going to be excited about that. And somebody, I am. I thought somebody else was going to be excited about that. Is that exciting, y'all? We win. Through Jesus Christ, we win. We messed up. We made the mistake. Adam and Eve made the mistake. They sinned. They blew it. You and I, we sin. We blow it. We mess up. We do everything wrong, and He is the one that has fixed it. He has redeemed us. And that word is such a meaningful word because what it means is that he has repurchased us. We were his, and then sin has separated us from him, and through his blood he has repurchased us. He has bought us back from sin, set us free from sin to now have a relationship with him again if we respond to Jesus Christ in brothers and sisters in Genesis chapter 3 just the third chapter in all of the Bible but in Genesis chapter 3 we see a picture of the entire story of redemption sin and rebellion against God not just Adam and Eve but a reminder that you and I have done the same sin and rebellion against God the consequence of sin being separated from God and God giving his very own son to repurchase us from sin so that when we come to Christ in faith, when we respond and say, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you're the only one that can forgive me of my sins, and I'm committing my life to you now, all of a sudden, Satan has no power over us. Sin has no power over you. For the sin that, that he's tempting you to do now, you could say no. For the guilt of the sins that you've done in the past, it's gone. For the way that it separated you from God, that's gone. You are now in communion with God. You now have a relationship with God. You were bound to go to hell forever to be punished for your sin, and now, because of Christ, you can go to heaven forever and live in the glory of God, in God's glorious presence. All of this offered to us, not because we deserve it, but because God is that good and that loving, that merciful and that gracious.
I want to invite you to stand this morning. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. Maybe you're here and this is the first time you've ever heard this. If it is, let me invite you to come and let me talk to you. Let me pray with you. If you know that you are willing now to give your life to Christ, come so that you can make that public and we can celebrate with you. But if you're here and you've never responded to Christ in faith, that is the first step that you need to take to make all of the glorious victory of Christ something that you get to take part in. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, and for too long you've been looking at yourself and your righteousness, and you forgot that the only reason that you've ever been saved is because of Jesus Christ. Today, stop and thank Him for His goodness and His grace. But if you need to pray, I would love to pray with you. You can pray at these altars. If you have something else to make public that, that you have questions about, come. But I ask that you would respond to the Lord in the way that he calls you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation. Mm -hmm.